0: Welcome to the Refuge Church Podcast, where we long to see the lost saved, the saved transformed, and the transformed sent. For more information on Refuge Church, or to learn how you can give to this ministry, visit refugejacks.church. Later, buy him an ice cream cone. Uh, Stephen and he had to pull all this off, uh, with a couple hours' notice and get everything set up for out here. So, uh, I didn't help at all, just to be clear. So, um, yeah, so, so tell Stephen, buy him some ice cream later for free and, uh, tell him thank you. So, here, here's what we do Ephesians chapter four. If I can get my iPad open, we'll, we'll get started. Um, Ephesians chapter 4. Here's what I want you to do. If you need a, one of the journals, we've been giving them out. If you don't have a journal, we like one. Just slip your hand up. Mike's over here. I'll bring you one. Uh, but if you have one, cool. We need one back here. One there. Perfect. So there's one up here. Several. So uh, we're using these journals to take notes in, and we're, we're kind of walking through Ephesians. Um, we're in chapter 4. We're going to cover verses 1 through 16 today. Here's what, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write something down, and then, and, and then we'll get to it. Here's what I want you to write down. I read this this week, and it just... Man, it really was startling to me. Okay, I know that's happening. I'd Be clear. I know it's happening. So, in my heart, too. Right here. Here we go. Okay. But, but I read this, and it was really startling to me, and, like, and I went home and like shared it with Beth, and, and like we've just kind of been saying it over and over for a whole bunch of reasons. So I'd love for you to write this down somewhere, and, and it'll all tie in at the end. Here's, here's the phrase that I read. Alienation and neglect are like death. Alienation and neglect are like death. I was reading a commentary on Ephesians, and in chapter 4, the, the guy writing the commentary said he once counseled a young man who got his hair cut every week in hopes that someone would notice and he would feel included, he would feel, like, valued. And then, the, and then he had this phrase after that story that alienation and neglect are like death. So, so today we're going to talk about Unity. And talk about God's desire for the church to be unified. If you see Ephesians 4, the headline is unity in the body of Christ. This week, uh, a couple days ago, I put a post on Facebook that read, or excuse me, on social media that read, if you've been hurt by a church or church people and can share without gossiping or sharing names, I'd love to hear your story. Hurt is in years later you are struggling, you experienced trauma, you left that church, you left the church, you lost friends. And listen, I assumed I'd hear some things. Um, but, but there were countless responses, more responses than I've ever had to probably anything I've ever posted on social media. And I promised that I wouldn't share specifics, but I was blown away. One of the things that caught me was there was about three different people that came to me saying, Hey, I have this issue with you directed at me. And, and, and I'm hoping I can kind of walk through that. But, but some of my takeaways were, were just without kind of men, men pointing to anyone where men, men, sexual abuse has caused people to leave the church politics I mean, I think we know this, but it's caused division, but it's caused more than division. It's caused people to not want to go somewhere. Racism or leaders that don't uh, that don't oppose racial injustice, uh, man, has caused people to, to have hurts. Solid believers who I know but haven't spoken to in a while, who haven't been to church in a few years because of relational hurts. Uh, bitterness, anger, frustration. We're a part of all this. this is, they just felt these in their heart. Uh, again, a few were directed at me that I had no clue about. And honestly, by Friday, I was pretty overwhelmed at the amount of responses to people saying, I've been hurt by the church, and here's, here's how. So I think we start here. Now, I want to be clear. like I don't think anybody can, if you have like major, hurt, like, major church kind of hurt trauma stuff, I don't think anybody's going to walk away from this sermon and be healed, although I think the Holy Spirit can do that. But I think, I think we've got to acknowledge that, but also acknowledge this is real. So church hurt is real. And some things that, that, that I took away from that was, number one, that unity comes only in Christ alone. That the only place we're ever going to find unity is not in good music, it's not in good ice cream, okay, but it's only going to be in Christ alone. Our hearts, our lives submitted to Christ is the only place we'll find unity. The second thing I wrote down, just for my own personal notes, was that church leadership is not perfect, but must be repentant. Like, church leadership, we know this, is not perfect. You, you may not know this, I'm not perfect, there's like, there's like six people that live in the home with me that can verify that, okay? I'm, I'm not perfect. Stephen can tell you story after story of times I had to text him and go, dude, I'm sorry, I'm a jerk. And the third thing is, uh, man, here, here's what I think. I think the church really struggles to believe God regarding reconciliation. See, we did this whole chapter in chapter 2, and we talked about how God's desire is for you to be reconciled one to another. I don't think we believe that God is powerful enough, though, very often to bring that reconciliation. And, and be clear, I'm saying this for me. So in light of that, alienation and neglect are like death. When someone gets hurt in a church setting, they feel alienated or neglected. It's a death to them. I think one way we can say this is being a part of a church body can be dangerous. Being a part of a church is, is listen, is a form of spiritual warfare. The enemy doesn't want it to be peaceful. The enemy doesn't want there to be unity. Being part of a church is being part of a family One body, Stephen says this a lot, and it's true, man, listen, when one of us hurts, we should all hurt. And when one of us celebrates, we should all celebrate. And when there's tension, when there's lack of harmony, when there's sin, repentance and reconciliation should take place. God's answer to a church that hurts, damages, alienates, neglects, and rejects is unity in the gospel. Gospel unity. Here's what we mean. That I was dead... And we said this a couple of weeks ago, but God made me alive and God made me alive for God. Listen to this phrase, alienation and neglect lead to death. And, and let me just say this for what it's worth. And I, I don't say this to be glib or, but just to be honest, at some point, if, and maybe I already have, I will disappoint you as a leader. I just want to say I'm sorry now. I, I don't want to. I never want to do that. But the reality is I'm a sinner and I sin. And many people have this view of their pastor that he's perfect and he doesn't sin, and then when he does, it destroys them. And so what I, what I've noticed is the pendulum tends to go from m- my pastor's this saint who's sinless to when they mess up and you notice they become Satan in our eyes, right? And and I've felt that towards many. So as a pastor, I would just like to say I carry sin into my decisions. I don't want to, but I'm a sinner. I carry sin into my sermons and sermon prep. I don't want to, but I'm a sinner. I carry sin into my counseling and my leadership. And it is, listen, I believe this with all my heart, it is God's mercy alone that anything good ever takes place. And this is where we start today. So Ephesians chapter 4, so I told you when we started Ephesians to write down three words. If you look back to the opening, you'll see them. One word was reconciliation. One word was peace, and, and one word was unity. I think all three of those kind of converge today because without reconciliation, there is no peace. If you walk around with, with feelings or emotions towards someone, there is no peace. Man, and without reconciliation, look, there's no unity. And here, here's what here's what the Bible would say. If you have some broken stuff towards someone who doesn't even go here, you won't be able to have unity here until you fix it there. This is part of what this is about. So in Acts 19, we've been saying this is the context of the whole book of Ephesians. And last week, I, I pointed to Acts 20 when Paul's getting ready to leave, and he kind of commands the the church and the leaders to have a posture of faithfulness and a posture of obedience. He said this, I do not count my life of any value or as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry I receive from Jesus. He's like, it's not about me. I want to have a posture of faithfulness. And he said, and then in front of opposition, I didn't shrink back declaring to you the whole counsel of God. He had a posture of obedience. Now, if you continue to read after that verse, he says this verse 28, he says, listen, pay attention to yourselves. Tell me if this resonates and all of the flock in which the Holy Spirit made you an overseer to care for the church, which he obtained by his own blood. Listen, the church, this gathering, us together, you have to see, we are not just a club. We don't just have a building that we get to hang out in. All of this was obtained, what this verse says in 28 of Acts chapter 20, by Christ's blood. And that's how highly and serious we view the church. And then he says this in verse 29, so right after he gives him the commission, men. man, Men, stay faithful, posture of faithfulness, stay obedient, posture of obedience. He says, fierce wolves are coming. This is not sparing the flock. Listen, we have to notice there are going to be wolves that try to come in and do harm and run them off. I, I wrote this down as more of a prayer, but my prayer is that wolves come to refuge to repent or to die. But there be nothing else. They either come to repentance or they die. And then in verse 30 he said, even some of you are going to rise up and speak twisted things and draw others away. He's saying we've got to have discernment in these areas. So verse 31, so be alert. And so it was really interesting, man. I was, I was, I was kind of preparing and reading through all this. And then yesterday happened with this with this accident out there, right? And I'm just reminded again that look, as the church, we have two weapons. The only we only have two weapons, we have two really powerful weapons. One of those is the gospel, and the other is prayer. So for us to fight for unity and fight for reconciliation, it starts with the gospel, and then it goes through prayer, right? Now, if we have been saved, then we've also been reconciled to Christ, not because of our efforts or works, but because of what Christ Jesus has done. So again, the reminder, alienation and neglect are like death. But being reconciled to Christ allows us to be reconciled one to another. We can forgive others greatly because we have been forgiven greatly. Did you hear that? The reason we will be able to forgive others greatly is because we have been forgiven lately. And if you have a small view of your forgiveness, because you have a small view of your sin, you have a small view of how you can forgive others. So, like, the first church I worked at, I made so many mistakes. I mean, I mean, praise God, I'm I'm so far from that now. But um, there was a lady at the first church I worked at that I just, we just butted heads. I don't know how else to say it. If I said it was blue, she said it was red. If I said it was, man, we should do something, she said we we shouldn't. I mean, and everything I did, she just, we were about the same age. You thought we'd have gotten along, and it just, it didn't work. Oil and water, right? She had to have been a Gator fan, like just oil and water, right? I mean, it just didn't work. And I tried, and I prodded, and and then and then we, we the Lord sent us from that church to another church a couple of years later. And, and honestly, I kind of forgot about this person. And one day I was at Chick-fil-A, because that's where Jesus does all his work. I was at Chick-fil-A, and um, I look in the drive, drive the rearview mirror, and I saw her face in her minivan behind me. And I don't know if you've had this experience. You see someone out that you know there's some at least tension with, and you just have, like, emotions. And I'm sitting in the drive-thru, and I see her, and I, and I thought, oh. And I kind of cringe. I can remember feeling cringy and going, ah. And then I, the next thought was, how do I get out of here so she doesn't see me? Then the next thought was from the Holy Spirit. And he said, You should buy her meal. And so I said, No, Holy Spirit. <laughs> I thought, she's a I mean, listen, please be honest? I'm going, she's a jerk. Why would I buy her Chick-fil-A? She doesn't I mean, These are these are the thoughts that are going through a pastor's head, right? And I just felt impressed by the Holy Spirit to do this. So I pulled up to the window and I mean it wasn't a big deal. It was just her breakfast or whatever. And and so I paid for it and I drove off. And I'm I mean, like, I expected as I drove off the Holy Spirit to fall in my car afresh and just to experience God in a new way. And nothing happened. Like nothing happened other than I didn't have $6 that I had before that moment, right? But about a week later, I got a message on Facebook, if I remember right, or an email. This is 20 years ago. And the message was from her, and she told me that when we left the church, she had stopped going to church. And she had stopped talking to the Lord, she stopped praying, she stopped engaging with the Lord at all, solely because she thought I was a pastor and I never treated her how she thought a pastor should treat her. She was destroyed by how my relationship with her just really impacted her and, and when I bought her Chick-fil-A that day, she said to her it turned the tide. She said, I thought you hated me. And then when you bought Chick-fil-A, I started to realize the Lord started to work that that wasn't the case. And and, and I, I share that with you just to say, listen, alienation and neglect lead to death. Because of my actions and I'll be honest, I couldn't even tell you what I did other than just disagree. I Man, it, it caused a spiritual death in her life for a season. So the more, man, I'm able to see and acknowledge my sin, the more I'm able to extend grace and mercy to others. So Ephesians 4, verse 1, says this, Paul says in verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you have received. Here's what he's saying, that word worthy is this word A-X-I-O-S, and it actually means weight. He's saying, consider the weight of your salvation. And then he says, are you walking in light of that weight? So what we're saying is like Paul is saying chapters one through three, if they have impacted us, if I was dead and I'm alive, if if that, if that weight is true, if I was dead and God made me alive, then I should live in such a way that it reflects that. Like if I believe God saved me and I was dead, then I shouldn't be scared to go to someone and go, hey, I've hurt you or you've hurt me. This is What he's saying, now again, there are different levels of hurt, and I want to make sure I acknowledge that. There may be things you have never shared, and I don't want to say, let's just push it out of the way. This is where we are. Verse 2, how? So how? How do we we walk in unity the way we're called? He's going to lay out like five things. And want to know if you pursue unity in the church? Here's what it looks like. You want to know if your heart, if your disposition is to pursue unity in the church, here's what it looks like. Mine as well. Verse 2, he says, with all, number one, humility. And gentleness, anybody struggle with that one? Men, anybody not gentle? Yeah, I can't hold my wife's hand without hurting her, I feel like. There's nothing in me that's gentle. With patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. He lays out, this is what it looks like to pursue unity. Unity. And so if you want to know, man, humility, what is that? It's not thinking you're better than someone else. not thinking more highly of you, of yourself than others. Gentleness. Not overwhelming or dominating. I tend to plow through and run over people. This is one I struggle with. Bearing with one another in love. Even when we disagree or hurt, man, we offer grace. We think the best, not the worst. We think their intentions are good, not their intentions are satanic, right? In the church. Patience. I mean, words like slow, kind, listening. I've heard it put this way. Like in Hebrew, this is the the idea of slow is to, or the idea of patient is to absorb a blow. Like absorb a physical blow. It says bearing with one another in love. We, we have this sweet little Zoe. Sweet. She's over there somewhere. She's in, sacked out in the, in the stroller. It's the sweetest little thing I've ever seen. Like just sweet. Just like my daughter Hannah was. Like just sweet. The boys are terrible. But like Zoe, amazing. But Zoe will do this thing when she gets all kind of triggered, where she'll just kind of rear back with one hand and smack you, right? Can I just be honest? I have never wanted to smack her back. She's, she's one. She's a tiny little baby. However, if Devin comes up and smacks me, right? But this is the idea of bearing with one another in love is I know her disposition. I should know his as well and be viewing it the same way. And then it says, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Eager, I have an eagerness for togetherness. Man, inclusive, inviting, investing, serving. So we're saying, man, here's, we're, we're, we're called to unity. Here's what it looks like disposition, like for us to have a disposition of unity, we have to act in these ways. And here's the reality. Some of those things are going to be really easy for you, personality-wise. How many of you guys can look at that list and go, oh my gosh, anybody got one on there that you're just not, not any, any? yeah, like we should, like only Peyton, perfect, thank you, me and you, Peyton, I'm with you. Like half of them I'm terrible with, Right. And then he presses on and he says, and he says, because, he says, because there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. Verse five, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Verse six, one God and father of all who is over all and through all. He's saying we're all of the same family. We, we are all brothers and sisters in Christ that share these things in common. No one gets more or less of these. He's saying common ground is found in the nature and the character of God. So no matter your hurt or the hurt somebody else is bringing on you, in the end we all have common ground that we are sinners, we were dead, God made us alive. He's saying our unity comes from all seven of these things. None of us have six out of seven. In view of these seven things, every earthly Christian is on the same level. No matter the issue, the hurt, the wound, we all come back here. Verse 7. It's kind of a powerful verse. He says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. And Christ and Christ alone gives the exact portion needed. Here's what that means. If I'm going to seek unity, Christ will give the exact portion needed. Here's what it means. If I'm going to seek forgiveness, if I've hurt you and I've got to come to you, then I can trust that if I I do it through the Spirit's leading, and I'm submitted to Christ, then he will give the exact portion needed for forgiveness to occur. Same thing, if I have to forgive, he'll give the exact portion. If I have to move forward to be a part of a church again, to reconcile. this is, this is is. And let me be clear, this could be read as like, oh, it's just another trust God statement. This is not what he's saying. He's saying, man, if I'm submitted to Christ and I have some hurts, or, or if I'm trying to pursue unity or reconciliation, he's saying that submitted to Christ, he'll give me the exact portion needed to get there. Verse 8, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But then he also descended into the lower regions of earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill in all things. This is the reminder of where the grace comes from. The special grace to get past something mentioned in verse 7, or the saving grace we experience as salvation, all grace that is given to us from Christ comes from the conquering king. This is what it's saying. This is the conquering king passage. The conquering king gives grace with great expectations. The expectation is that we will use his grace to bring power and victory in the church. And let me be clear, power and victory start with unity. For the church to reverse course of all the pain and trauma it has experienced, we must be a church that seeks healing, wholeness, unity, and the power of the conquering king. Listen, we must be a church that is willing to have difficult and uncomfortable conversations because we trust in a conquering king. I think so often we kind of brush things aside instead of engaging those hard things. How do we pursue health and wholeness and reconciliation? Man, man, this is how. He's going to lay this out in the next few verses. To function as a unified church that offers grace to all, we must see, believe, and live out the idea. Ready? I'd love for you to write this down. If we're going to be a church man, that offers grace to all, that offers wholeness and healing to all, that offers unity to all, here it is. This is for you and for me if I'm a believer. I must see that I'm here to serve and not to be served. This whole passage could be right there. That as a Christian, in the church, I am here to serve, and not be served. But because to be really honest with you, we're outside. This might be bad, but here's here's the: we've created church to be such an experiential thing that we view it as something to consume rather than something to serve and honor God in. Right? Look at who has the best this or who has the best that. I want to consume that rather than what is my role in serving. What door can I hold open? What floor can I sweep? What kid can I watch? What thing can I clean up? Like when we ask for volunteers, we get some, hey, can I help in this way? But we also get a lot of, hey, can I be on stage? Let's be really clear. If you ask to be on stage, you're probably not getting on stage. It's not about you. We're here to serve. Man, this is our disposition that I'm here to serve. I'm not here to consume. Yet our faith has become a consume. I'm going to consume as much Jesus stuff as I can. And in the end, what does that do? Is It makes it all about us. And then when, when I leave and I'm not happy, I'm going, well, if I'm not happy, it's clearly their fault, right? What Paul's saying here over and over is that we are here to serve, not be served. What is the very thing that God wants to use you in? Been I meant to bring unity to the church. I and mean, what is something you would hate to do? Are you willing to do that thing? Like, do you realize there are people in there watching our kids right now? Like, when we go pick them up later, let's make sure we say thank you. I got to worship, and it was good, and I'm grateful you gave that up for me. Verse 11. been here to serve, not be served. Verse 11, he says, and he gave some to be apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry in building up the body of Christ. Here's what he's saying. We all have a role to play. If we're going to be unified, we all have a role to play. God has given us gifts for ready His church. Can I just be honest? Like I, we could have cleaned all that up yesterday. You could have shown up. It'd have been nice. But here's the reality. That's this isn't my church. This is our church that God is building, and you need to walk up there and see what's been destroyed, so that when God restores it, you can go look at what God did at my church, where I worship, not that church. Like we're we're in this together. No role is greater, no role is lesser. Listen, one of the most powerful roles is taking place in there right now were Mr. Bernie and Miss Darlene, who Mister Darlene had to walk her in today to go teach children about Jesus. I mean, this is what he's talking about. They came to serve today. And we want them to honor that and be excited about that. It's about obedience and faithfulness in the role that God's called you to be in. Man, I read this by a pastor named Tony Marita in, in North Carolina. He said, a healthy church is marked by three things. If you don't know if your church is healthy, it's marked by service. It's marked by unity, and it's marked by diversity. It's marked by service. It's marked by unity and diversity. You know what's not in there? Size or lights or numbers or money, but unity and service and diversity. Diversity, men, racially, diversity, age-wise. And we need to have it all, right? Verse 13, excuse me, verse 12, I wrote this down as I was reading. I think this is really helpful before we get to verse 12. Um, Here's the reality of unity. We are not stronger when we all agree, but we are stronger as believers when we disagree even often but are still fully united in Christ. Like It's fine to have even like political differences, economic differences, social differences, as long as we honor the Lord in those things. It's fine to disagree as long as in the end we still have unity in Christ because we're all wired in different ways and all have different backgrounds. But in the end, man, what's honoring the Lord? Verse 12, he says, to, why do we all have a role? To build up the church. He says, the leaders equip the saints. The saints do the work of the ministry. The calling here isn't to hire a staff to serve you. The calling here is a staff should, should send you out. That's why at the end of this service, we're going to say you are sent. You have the gift and calling of ministry. Verse 13. We got to finish, sorry. It says, until we obtain the unity of faith the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. And he says, and here's the goal. To the measure of the stature that we, are, we find ourselves full in Christ. The results of the church's unity and diversity is the church's maturity. Maturity towards and in Christ-likeness. An immature church will struggle with unity and diversity. A mature church seeks out unity, diversity, even when it's hard. Verse 14. So that we are no longer to be children tossed and fro by the waves and carried about in every wind of doctrine by human cunning or craftiness or deceitful schemes. Maturity brings us towards abiding in Christ faithfully. How sad is it when a church is tossed around? Maturing in the faith doesn't just happen to you. Maturing in the faith takes effort. Man, it takes fortitude. Spiritual maturity, though, only comes through obedience and faithfulness. This is what we talked about last week. Verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, don't miss that phrase. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head of Christ. When, when we speak truth in love, this is what he says, we grow up in Christ. When I go to you and say, I need to ask you this, tell you this, or ask for forgiveness, we're growing up in Christ. This is I'm trusting God to be the great reconciler of whatever's happening. That literally, the translation though of truth in love is actually this. It's truthing love. Two words. The translation there, if you want to translate it like straight up Greek, it's not truth in love. It's truthing love. It's taking the word truth and making it a verb for your life. It's truthing love. Not just speaking truth, but doing it. When true lives are married to love, the spirit is free to work. Did you hear that? When when, our true, when I'm living a true life and it's, and, it's, and it's been accompanied with love, the spirit will work in our church. And when that happens, man, the results are a wonderful, holy disturbance. We grow up spiritually in this space. And then verse 16 says, From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when every part is working properly, makes up the body so that it can build itself up in love. I have this written in my Bible. and Here's here's the phrase. How am I giving myself away? If I want to ask about serving, how am I giving myself away? Man, Christian maturity involves contribution. How am I giving myself away? Our ultimate need is Christ. We grow in him. We are dependent on Christ who is the head and the source of the church. But we are also members of the body, and we are dependent and should be on one another. Real reconciliation, real unity, real maturity is demonstrated through being dependent on one another. So, so, just a couple things to kind of conclude here with. number one, man, number one, man how, so how does the, Bible, the biblical how does biblical health and biblical growth come? The first thing I think is through godly, repentant leadership that is dependent solely on the Holy Spirit. And this is a standard we should be held to as leaders. The second thing is through transformation, where God's people are prepared for good works, number two ten, and can use the gifts and talents to the fullest. Number three, through progressive corporate community where we ride the coattails of each other's lives, not our own. Man, Here's just a great question. In leadership, they teach us this. Can you celebrate other people? Can you just, man, just be really pumped for what somebody else is doing? Man, In our age of social media, look at me, let me get this picture, let me get everything right in the room and take the right angle and get the right lighting. Can you celebrate other people? That's an indicator of a pursuit of unity or, or not. Man, Man, the opposite of humility is self-exaltation. So if you want to know where you are on the humility kind of pendulum, there you go. And then through truthing love, transparent, honest, loving speech and lives. I, I, would, I would leave you with two phrases and then I'll pray. I started with this and I'll end it. Alienation and neglect lead to death. But ready? This is so important. You gotta tag this on the end of that. The gospel and reconciliation lead to life. Alienation, neglect lead to death. But the gospel and reconciliation us being reconciled to God and you being reconciled to one another lead to life. I want to pray for us and then we're going to sing a little bit. Um, would you pray with me? God, we love you. We thank you for your word that is challenging and reminding us that we have a role to play in the building up and the unity of the church. God, as, as we as we sing now in, in kind of a closing song, help us not to check out or, or run to something, God, but, but to together Let our voices kind of proclaim together in unity, your goodness, that we believe what we've studied today in your word. God, would you draw us to you? God, we need you and we love you.